Welcome to episode 250 of Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. Really didn't expect the show to last this long when I started it five years ago. I'm glad it has, and I can't wait for the next five years. Thank you, everyone, for your enthusiasm and support. It wouldn't have happened without you. Who better to help us celebrate than this week's friends, Judy Hyman, and special guest accompanist, Jeff Klaus. We recorded this about a week and a half ago over Skype, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. By the way, this might be the last remotely recorded episode of Get Up in the Cool. There may be a few more sprinkled in as I transition back into in-person recordings, but maybe not. Either way... Thank you so much for sticking with the show this last year when it had to change so much. I can't wait for it to go back to the way it was. So, you know, please get vaccinated if you're able. Home stretch, all that. This episode is brought to you in part by Earful of Fiddle. They're offering their annual music and dance camp online June 20th through the 24th, 2021. Now in its 13th year, this season, Earful of Fiddle will provide virtual instruction in percussive dance, song, fiddle, guitar, banjo, mandolin, and online evening activities. Instructors include Ngozi Fields, Jake Blunt, Laurel Primo, Ruby John, Bruce Bowman, Nick Garris, Arnold Asham, and more. To register, visit earfuloffiddle.com. I put a link in the show notes. Stay safe and stay connected to your traditional arts community with the Earful of Fiddle. I suspect some of you may be experiencing some Zoom fatigue, but I think this one's worth catching. I talked for Earful over Zoom last year, and it was a really special experience. If you have one more in you, make it this one before you enter the real world. It'll be worth it. While Get Up in the Cool gets the occasional amazing sponsor like Earful of Fiddle, it's primarily funded by listeners like you. Shout out to George S. Flink and Paul O'Hare, who just signed up. Thank you so much. To those of you who haven't yet signed up for Get Up in the Cool's Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash getupinthecool. It's linked in the show notes for this episode. And choose a support level that you can sustain. Get Up in the Cool is a niche podcast, to say the least. So I really need the enthusiastic and consistent support of you, my listeners, to keep it going every week like I have for the past five years. So again, thank you everyone, and thanks in advance to those of you who will sign up. Make sure to stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Judy Hyman. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Ah. <laughs> That's the most uh, disarming, sweet, one in the morning festival calico tune. <laughs> now I gotta like, turn is. on my interviewer energy. Uh, it, it is such a lovely tune and such a great tuning. If if I had my druthers, I would play in nothing but super super open tunings. Yeah. Unfortunately, that would be a little bit limiting. But I really like the open tunings. Well, uh, Judy Hyman, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you, Cameron. It's so nice to be here. I like your druthers. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. It's the best. <laughs> Will you remind me which calico tune that is? Because sometimes I get a little bit confused. That's Sandy them. River. That's Sandy that's River. That's Sandy River. It's Marcus Martin tune. Fantastic. And of course, he plays it amazing. But yeah. I do love it. Well, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. Ever since Jake Blunt wrote a thesis on Ithaca style, uh, old time music. Uh, oh boy, that's ago. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he introduced me to your music, and I love it. Um, well, the, the horsefly specifically is mm -hmm, what I was introduced mm -hmm. to. Cool, very cool. Jake is a good buddy. I love him dearly, and uh, it was really interesting when he first came down. You know, he came down from Hamilton College to talk. And I'm like, who is this guy, you know? And uh, we've become really, really dear friends. Um, and I miss him, you know. It's been hard during COVID. We've had some Zoom dinners, but it, it ain't the same. It's not the same. I miss him, too. Mm. When did you start playing the fiddle and why? And how did you develop? Like, I mean, like I said, Jake wrote this whole, like... <laughs> You know, there, Thesis, there, there's this literally. idea that there's this, uh, yeah, Ithaca style, that there's this um, style in that region. Um, and I, I was hoping you could speak to that and the part that you played in developing that and also receiving that. I'm not sure about the timeline of all that stuff. Well, I'll start with how I got started. Yeah. Um, I played violin when I was a kid, and I actually played violin all the way up through conservatory, which it's kind of funny sometimes when people say to me, oh, you don't even sound like you're trained, and I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or as a, a It's critique, a bit backhanded. But, yeah. Um, and I, I first heard fiddle when I was in college. I had a friend who was learning to play the fiddle, and I was preparing to go, I was preparing to finish college and go back to school in music. And I was really overworked because um, I was trying to practice three hours a day and I was trying to get the degree done. And, and I was in Philadelphia, by the way. And um, I said to her, I said, you know, sometime in the spring, I really need to do something just for fun because I have been hitting you know, the grindstone for way too long here. And she said, I have a friend who uh, is going to drive his international harvester truck down to Union Grove, and I'll, I'll make sure you can join us. And I'll teach you two fiddle tunes so you have something to go on. So she taught me Cripple Creek and Flop-Eared Mule. Yeah. And I went down there, and the driver was Jeff. Class. <laughs> so that was very much a beginning. Yeah. 
So um, I think I'll leave that there, but then you're asking about uh, how my style developed. And I'd say a few things. One is that there were a lot of people before us and after us who made the trek several times a summer down to North Carolina and Virginia for Union Grove while it lasted and Galax and Mount Airy and there's still a caravan of people that go down for uh, Galax and Mount Airy. Um, and I've always attributed that to Route 81, which you get on yep. it up here, you, you, you go to sleep, you, you get off it down there, and boom, you're there. Um, but we're not there. We're really in the north. Yes. And so we have other influences. And I, I'm a big believer in the geography of music, that there are things about climate and proximity and things like that that really affect how music uh, evolves and how it develops and how regional styles develop. And we're really not that far from the whole French-Canadian thing. We're not that far from New England. Sure. And one of my earliest exposures when I was trying to sort out in my head what all these different kinds of fiddle playing were um, was to French-Canadian music at a, um, a festival in, in northern Vermont. Um, so I think also that there were other people in this town who had a little bit of that influence as well. I know that John Specker, who lived here yes. and had his band Correct Tones, uh, was playing uh, St. Anne's Reel way back when. I think, I, I think, I don't know for sure, before it sort of entered the southern repertoire, it was starting to creep down south. Interesting. So it, that's... I don't know that for a fact. That's more, more of a modern introduction into southern repertoire then. Maybe. Well... I don't know. We would have to find out. We'd have to figure <laughs> out, you know, uh, when when the people in the South think that tune became popular. That would be a really interesting thing to find out. But okay, in any case... note to Get Up in the Cool listeners, all information on Get Up in the Cool is uh, potentially apocryphal, so just relax. <laughs> even, even experts get things wrong, or uh, it's... So, just, yeah. I, and you could write make, in and let us know, but... <laughs> I make no claim at expertise beyond what I do and what I've lived. I'm, I'm not really a folklorist. So, yeah, okay. I, may, I may be making it up. We'll see. But um, one of the other things that was happening around here was people were experimenting with percussion with fiddle music. That also yeah. was a correct tones kind of thing. And the groove was... Um, our groove has always been a little different than what happens in the South. And so um, we, of course, as the horseflies, were really interested in the whole relationship between fiddle and banjo and big groove and drums and per hand percussion and all that yeah. sort of thing. Um, my particular way of playing very much, I mean, it, we introduced the banjo ukulele to the mix in about 1985. I'm going to start to date myself here, but my playing the way it is now has evolved around the banjo uke. Yeah. So um, we were playing as the horseflies and had a our own groove before that when Jeff was playing guitar. And today, later on, he'll join us and he'll play 
a little bit of guitar and a, a couple of things of banjo uke. But I, I think that's that's how it developed because the banjo uke does a certain thing and I'm always trying to match it and he's always trying to match me and and then everybody else in the band was always trying to match the banjo uke. Interesting. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. Um Maybe we could do another tune, or maybe closer to when Jeff joins us, we could talk a little bit more about what it is that the banjo-yuke is doing, and why, and how that's affected your playing. But first, what do you want to play next? I'm thinking about playing Norman Edmonds' Old Cotton-Eyed Joe. Okay. I'm a big Norman Edmonds. Oh, cool. Well, you'll you'll have your work cut out for you this week, huh? It's a very simple tune, and I, uh, Jeff and I are big fans of Norman Edmonds, uh, his style, his repertoire, and um, this one is a really simple two-part tune that uh, I'm in. I'm in high basses, so it just kind of another open approach. Okay. I've never heard a Cotton Eye Joe do that. It seems like it has nothing to do with the rest of the world of Cotton Eye Joe, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that B part sounds 
a little bit closer to what I would expect in a Cotton right. Eye Joe. Right. But the A part, I guess it's not that different. It just goes to that note instead of the, the right. six well, instead of the five. Yeah. We we usually play it with just like the top part all in A and the bottom yeah. part all in D. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes a really, really sweet square dance tune, for example. Yeah. Are there yeah, yeah are there any other Kanai Joes that that do that? I'm not aware of anything that does that. Huh. No. Mm-mm. That's really cool. Okay, well, I'm going well, to listen I'm to glad Norman, to, Norman Edmonds. <laughs> I'm glad to have introduced you to what is one of my very, very, very favorite tunes. This is one of the main reasons I do this show, is so that people show me their cool tunes. And then maybe I'll steal their tunes. <laughs> so, full disclosure. It's yours for the taking. I can't wait to play it with you live at a festival someday. Yeah. That'll Sounds be great. Good. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of great recordings of Norman Edmonds because they played on PAQ almost every week, um, WPAQ in in Galax. Um, And I I guess maybe even they were the house band, the old timers. So they actually have archived those. Yeah, there's a ton of it out there. And there's also a a field recorder's uh, disc of him and them. Thank goodness for them. They're doing good work. (laughs) (laughs) We're anyway. (laughs) I was hoping you could tell me about the period of time when um, people were making these pilgrimages, these old time (laughs) pilgrimages to uh, go learn, you know, North Carolina and Virginia music, like you said. Um, uh, I've, I've been thinking about that time a lot lately because of like the conversation lately about, you know, the conversation about like cultural ownership uh, and protectiveness. And I, I've just been thinking a lot about it very critically. And I'm curious, I always want to ask people who were around at the time when a lot of that um, music was being shared or taken or somewhere in between. And I'm curious, like what was, what was your experience and what did you see in terms of um, the consent around the sharing, what the, the cultural, um, intercultural connections or disconnections? I was wondering if you could speak to that. That's a big question. It's a really big question. We can't really address the whole thing right now, but I can tell you my point of view, which was I always felt like by trying to get a handle on the music, I was trying to honor it. And I found, um, you know, the first time I was at a Southern festival and cloggers got up on the stage and danced to old time music, which I had already been into for some time, I got this thrill of kind Mm. of like a patriotism that we actually had a national music, even though... Even though growing up in northern New Jersey, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't any exposure to it at all until I mentioned uh, that we went to uh, Union Grove from Philadelphia. That said, I am sure that there is... Um, I, I know that we weren't always received. We, as sort of northern hippies, weren't always received yeah. as we thought we might be. But I know that there were positive and healthy connections because there were a lot of people visiting people 
in the South with a genuine interest in learning and sharing. And um, I'm going to tell you one story that, that relates. I'm going to play another Norman Edmonds tune. Great. Next. And so um, one thing about that was that um, at the time that we learned some of this Norman Edmonds music and we were really enjoying it, we were playing in a band with Frank Dalton. I don't know if you know Frank. He plays very good old-time banjo, and he's also, in the last decades, been super interested in Irish music. And he lives okay. outside of Philadelphia, and he put on a bunch of Irish stuff there. But that was before the, the big, full-blown Irish in interest. So one day, Frank was watching television, and he saw Jimmy Edmonds, who's Norman's grandson, on television. And he got very excited by it. He was living in Philadelphia. He didn't have like a direct exposure to the music either. And he ended up contacting the Edmonds family. And Nelson, who is Norman's son, Jimmy's father, uh, was a truck driver for a furniture company in North Carolina at the time. And one day, Frank, who lived in South Philly, in a neighborhood in South Philly, with tiny streets, had this huge semi pull up in front of his house, and it was Nelson. So they became friends. And so when we went down to Galax, because they lived, I believe, in Hillsville, Hillsville or Galax, uh, we went and visited, and we went and saw all of Nelson's uh, instruments that he was making, and there was this really nice personal connection. So I think it was complicated. I think there was, certainly we were clueless if we were raiding culture for anything other than love of the music. Right. Now that said, after, after that whole period, the horseflies came together and we started to evolve and we started to evolve into original music. Um, so, you know, that's like a whole different stage and a whole different era. But we, were, we weren't even going to the festivals by then. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm really, I'm really interested in this idea of a, a regional style developing and the idea of there being new traditions. Um, and I guess I'm curious, do you have any hopes for the, the genre that you had a part in, in creating the the region and that tradition. Do you have any idea about where that's going, or is it going to continue, or is it going to change? Or well, everything changes. Of course, e everything changes. So that's just a given that in ten years things will look different than they do now. And when I go to Clifftop now, uh, things look entirely different from when they did, you know, twenty five, thirty years ago at the Southern Festivals. Um. That said, yes, there's an active fiddle culture here, which makes it an awful lot of fun. Um, and does everybody play fiddle like I do? No, they don't. But but there are there are synergies there. Um, there are other banjo uke players in the area, yeah. and um, so we have a regional thing going for sure. Uh, as far as my particular style continuing. Yeah. I have a student. I have. I have. I had two students who are brothers, 
whom oh, you may yes. have encountered. You know the Trich brothers, right? Yes. So, yeah. so, um, so Gus and Huck uh, have both taken from me for a long time. And uh, Gus is, they're both exceptionally talented and they both play multiple styles on multiple instruments. And so their, their old time fiddle music world is only a corner of what they do, but they take it really seriously. Yeah. Um, and Gus's groove and mine match really well. Mm. And Huck plays bongos with Gus quite a bit. So that kind of matches really well. And we, we do play together. We have a, a little band we call uh, Wicked Children. Very casual, mostly just we play around here at pizza shops and stuff like that. Gus also plays banjo uke uh, among his many accomplishments. Huck is younger, and you may or may not know that he won the uh, Clifftop Youth two years ago Yes. Over his brother, Gus. <laughs> Gus came in second. And that was really wonderful because it was a great affirmation for Huck. And, yeah. and it opened a floodgate of interest. And he and I have been meeting every week this year. Huck, whether he chooses to in the future or not, knows all my Boeings. Yeah. And he can really do them. He can cool. really do them. So there's one. <laughs> yeah, lovely. And I think I think Jake knows a lot of these Boeings too. And uh, when I play with Tatiana, she's able to match up with it as well. Uh, Tatiana Hargraves. So um, now, will it? You know, it, will it uh, last as its own stream of style? I wouldn't imagine. I don't know. <laughs> I think things change, you know, when you, the music we were listening to of the older generation back when we were learning, people don't sound like that anymore. They haven't uh -huh. for some time. We were listening to, you know, Benton Flippin at 55, Kyle Creed, Ernest East, all those guys were still around and uh, cranking and nobody of the young generation really sounded like them. Since then, there have been some people who have really taken on the Benton thing and sound very close, have kind yeah. of mastered those Boeings. But um, those people are also, for the most part, my generation. And so where does it go from here? I'm already quite a bit older than Benton when I thought he was an old guy. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just go back to everything changes. It has evolved all along, and it will continue to change. Well, I think that's a really lovely way to think about to think about legacy, to have nice feelings about it, but also to not be precious about it. Like, oh, yeah, you have influence on, you know, four fiddlers, <laughs> uh, four musicians, and they'll go on to do some other things. Um, and I think that's really lovely. And Everything Changes, I think, is a, a nice and refreshing idea to hear. So, yeah, along the lines of, of everything changes, everything changes, and people don't always know what their influences are. Yeah. For example, when you were talking about when, you know, what, what kinds of things inspired me to get started with old-time music, um, one of the things was a combination of loving Tommy Gerald's music, we had it all on LP, 
and uh, loving the Highwoods music. And we live mm -hmm. right here where the Highwoods was, so there's a really uh, strong influence. And when I went to um, uh, Clifftop these last couple of years, and I'm listening to people do the double fiddle jams, young people in their 20s, I'm going, that sounds great, and that wouldn't have happened without Highwoods. It's not Highwoods, but it wouldn't have happened without Highwoods. That's how I feel. Okay. I like that take quite a bit. Yeah, it doesn't mean they got it directly from Highwoods, but Highwoods put it out there and it has evolved from there and I can hear them as a direct uh -huh. descendant. Th that's even, I think that's even lovelier. <laughs> to have, uh, to be continuing some sort of tradition unknowingly. <laughs> I do too, because I think that's really what it's it, that's really what it's all about. Hmm. Well, what do you want to play next? You said you had another Norman Edmonds. I do have another Norman Edmonds tune, and this is probably a good time for me to move the computer so that Jeff is on screen because Jeff's going to join me uh, on this Norman Edmonds tune. Here's here's Jeff Klaus. So I thought I would play. Another Norman Edmonds tune. This is called Ship in the Clouds. Ship and you probably know a version of Ship in the Clouds. Yes. And this is just one that really captivates me. And it's totally recognizable, but a little bit different.
Beautiful. I love Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's. I can't quite put my finger on what's different than the other ships in Clouds. Is it the same? Before. It sounds. It, well, no, I'm saying it sounds. It does sound different. I just can't quite. Maybe it's the A part. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I did. I did play the other one way back when, um, and uh, I don't remember it at all. I just heard this one and went, "Oh!" And I never really connected with the other one like I wanted to play it all the time. But this one I love to play. So, here's the uh, here's the banjo uke coming out. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we could speak on this a little bit. You said that the horseflies introduced banjo ukulele into old-time repertoire and old-time mm. adjacent things. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't take credit for that. You did not believe. say that. Excuse me. No. I, and, I, and I think Jeff should put on the headphones so that he can also Great. talk to this. I wouldn't at all take credit for having like inter been the people who interjected banjo-uke into old-time music. Um, there are a lot of people, and maybe it was an idea whose time had come. Maybe it will turn out, you know, your viewers will say, no, 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 he's the first one I remember doing it. But um, that's not a piece of history that I, uh, you know, try to own in any way. Or, or okay. nor does Jeff. Yeah. I can speak this much to all that. The first person I heard playing who I thought was incredible was Jim Reedy and the Chicken Chokers. Right. And okay, very good. The Horseflies yeah. and the Chicken Chokers used to do... You know, we used to do exchange program. They'd come to Ithaca and we'd do a double bill here. We'd go to Boston and do a double bill there. That kind of stuff. They were really good well, friends. Well, I love that double album that you all made. Right. Thank you. Chokers and Flies. Yeah. And that was the idea of Rounder, um, which was really, really fun. The, the best misprint story I've ever heard in terms of printing albums is one in which the Chicken Chokers is on both sides. Uh -huh. <laughs> Those must be collector's <laughs> items someplace. I don't know. I have a box any, of them. <laughs> any, anyhow, um, but I, I love the way Jim plays, and and was really inspired by that. Now he plays pretty differently than this. Um, hmm. the, I mean, the story for us is Judy kept saying, "Oh, it'd be great if I could go to parties and not always play fiddle." In those days, you'd have you, you know a lot of fiddlers and just like one or two guitar players. Things have changed a lot now. And she said, yeah. if I just had some little rhythm instrument, that would be great. So I bought her, literally, this banjo uke um, for $75, the store in Vermont, and gave it to her for her birthday. And then she didn't play it. <laughs> she, well, you didn't give me much time. Well, no, 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 no. I let, I let it go for a while. Oh, and, and then you picked it up and went, wow, this is for me. Right. That's, that's sort of what happened. I mean, if you play guitar... The chord shapes are pretty simple. It's four strings sure. instead of six. And I was like, oh, e even easier than guitar. You know, beautiful. I love that. Easy, I like. And uh, anyhow, I started playing it. Um, and and now she has her own banjo-uke that she doesn't play. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm true. I'm familiar with this kind of couple gift. Um, <laughs> I've given and received a few of them. So Yes, right. Yeah. I, I will get to it. I will definitely get to it. Yeah. Do you I'm play gonna... any other fretted instruments, Judy? No. So that, that no. this would be your your first. It would you be my it would be my yeah. first fretted it instrument. It will be. It will be. It will be my first fretted. We do instrument. have a small electric bass that we've had for about twenty eight thirty years. That's hers. That's in a case over there someplace, and it has frets. <laughs> 
I so mean, I, the, I noodled around on guitar in high school. I think everybody uh -huh. does that, but sure. you know, I never really played it. So um, the the uh, I, I guess the the vocal transliteration of the uh, the Ithaca sound banjo uke is waka waka. <laughs> what people refer to when they're talking about that sound. I, I guess I'm curious, where did the idea to have that particular kind of backbeat? I think you play it with a pick. Is I do. True? Yes, a thin, yeah. a thin nylon pick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the truth is, I just sort of did what I did. I didn't get it from somebody else in that sense. Um, it was just kind of an right. intuition about what to do, and it's evolved a bit. Um, Chicken Sugar's Jim Reedy plays with metal strings and uh -huh. and does more of a downstroke. He does um, a backbeat. Um, mm -hmm. As opposed to that shaker beat. Uh, or what, what Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal, it turns out, played banjo uke. I didn't know that. And we were, at a, we were at a festival, Philly Folk Festival or something at one point, and uh, he, he, had, you know, he had played earlier, a little bit before us. We got up and we were doing our thing, and turned in, he came backstage afterwards, um, and he said, Oh, I love that rucka rucka. Right, it's like, so he could waka waka rucka rucka. So sure, he, rucka, he, rucka. Had, yeah. he had tagged that one a long time ago, I guess. Um, huh. And I'd never heard him play. I mean... You know, now my favorites are probably Linda Higginbotham and and uh, yeah. Mark Hellenberg. You know, Pokey. Uh, they they play in a style that's similar. Um, I think and Linda Terry. has less backbeat because of the fiddle. You mm. follow sort of follow the fiddle. Terry, Terry McMurray, McMurray plays with Paul Brown. You know, of course. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right. So so that's interesting. You're of saying others. you follow the fiddle, but it sounds like there was some mutual following. No. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we've been together a really long time, so there's a lot of mutual following musically and otherwise. Has I that. would certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the, you know, the backbeat thing was there, as you talked about earlier, um, from other sources sort of happening. But when we started to play in the horse flies and play with hand percussion, that backbeat yeah. thing just got elevated. And there's, for me... Nothing more satisfying than playing a tight groove with banjo uke and, and hand percussion, sort of working that same beat. It, it feels like the banjo uke is this big, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Well, um, I would love to hear a, uh, another tune. Uh, what uh, what, what we shall playing? we play next? Well, I was thinking of playing a tune by, um, that I got from the playing of Alva Green who is a, okay. a fiddle player that I really don't have a lot of recordings of, but this one I love. And we have renamed it Longtail Duck, and I may let okay. Jeff talk about that. Um, I don't think I'll go into it in great detail, but um, basically it has a, a tune title that we find offensive um, yes. about Native Americans and Native American women, and, you know, that... that tune title runs around with a number of tunes and um, yeah. there was a time not so long ago I can't remember exactly when but probably in the mid 90s or something when uh, or maybe even a touch later when in Maine they outlawed they, they they required through policy state policy a change in place names um, uh, away from anything that could potentially be offensive around Indigenous Americans, 
Um, yeah. And I sort of like that idea. And the, sort of the short version is, I think they changed a lake name um, to Longtail Duck or, or Longtail Lake, I think is what it was, or something like that. So we call this Longtail Duck. Perfect. Yeah, I not that any sort of mention of racial identity in old-time music is necessarily neutral, but I would hope that there are enough tunes, you know, that uh, refer to Native Americans that we can, like, change a couple titles of the more egregiously titled ones without it being too uh, erasing. So I, I think that's great. And if it's the tune that I think you're talking about, this is one of my favorite tunes. Excellent. Excellent. Shall we do it? Yeah.
so fun. Is that the tune you were thinking of? I think so, yeah. Oh, outstanding. <laughs> totally outstanding. I only just discovered it for myself maybe three or four years ago. Hmm. Thanks for hanging yeah. out with me for a bit. I'm sorry it has to be remote. You're welcome back on anytime uh, when we're in the same place to do it in person. You're very sweet. I look forward to playing with you in person, whether it's for broadcast or not. That'll yeah. be fun when we finally get record. there. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, we have time for one more, but before we do that, where do people go to get your previously recorded albums, follow what you're doing in the future, anything else that you want to mention? Goods and services time. Where do people go to to uh, to pony up for more? Judy Hyman well, Music. <laughs> um, I have a web page. Amazingly, it's called judyhyman.com. Great. Um, you got and it. And from there, you can get to almost everything. But um, let's see. The Horseflies albums are available on the Horseflies website, okay. thehorseflies.com. And um, in various forms, there are some of them that are, a couple of them are available as a free download because they're out of print and I don't have it together to, to put them for sale. And besides which, it's time to just give it away, I think. And then a few of them we still have uh, hundreds of in the basement, and I'm always up for making deals on those. Great. And um, I made an album with my dad uh, about... Um, goodness, almost 10 years ago, nine years ago, um, that's all waltzes, and we're not doing any of those today, but he's a wonderful improvising jazz pianist, um, and the music that came out, these were original waltzes, and it came out sort of halfway between classical and folk and improvising, and I don't know. Um, they're, um, I think they're very sweet, and if you get them from me rather than online, then you get all the liner notes with the pictures, yeah. the baby pictures, and the, the little kid pictures, and all that sort of thing. Again, I'm cutting deals on those as well. Cool. Great. Yeah. Um, What's that album called? It's called Late Last Summer. Neat. I would love and, to hear that. Yeah. And um, what Jeff and I have been involved in for uh, many years now... Um, really as long as we've been doing, almost as long as we've been doing fiddle music, is making music for film. And we've made a bunch of uh, music for both documentary film and for feature film. And um, this year, fortunately during COVID, we had a lot to do. We yeah. finished up a score for a feature film called Martin Eden, that's going to premiere at the Nantucket Film Festival in just a couple of weeks. Cool. Uh, we're going down to New York on Monday to finish up the audio mix for that. And um, we also uh, finished music for a documentary called On the Divide, which is um, the topic of which is about the dwindling uh, women's reproductive rights organizations, particularly in Texas, and particularly targeting one area in McAllen, Texas, which is mm. on the border. Um, and that's premiering at Tribeca in a couple of weeks. So we're very, very excited about that. That's That sounds like a an important film. 
and like something that would be re- uh, really inter- interesting to write music for. <laughs> It was wonderful to write music for because yeah. um, I, I should back up and say that that a number of years ago when Jeff was uh, uh, looking at retirement from Ithaca College and thinking about when, you know, what skills we had that we wanted to do more of, and, and the film music is really right at the top there, and we decided together that, um, that we would offer our services gratis or at cost for projects that were um, that had a, uh, a political content or a yes. uh, social justice content or an environmental content uh, that were topics that we were wanting to support. And mm. um, we've done two of those so far, and this is one. And along with that, it seems that it's it's young filmmakers who don't have any budget for music. So um, anyway, we're really pleased with this one. And also, because it's a, a contemporary and verite documentary, the palette was very open. Um, mm. A lot of the feature films that we've done are period pieces, and uh, except for the, the one before this current one. The palette is very closely defined when you're, when you're doing a, uh, a period film. And we've been able to combine more contemporary sounds with the older sounds, like fiddles or guitars yeah. or whatever. Um, but the uh, some of this more recent stuff, and in particular this this documentary, allowed us to really um, use the sonic palette that we've been exploring for a long time. We have we have a lot of software. <laughs> cool. Well, I yeah, I hope to get to see it. Um, yeah, um, it will be yeah. on um, point of view, P- point of view PO- POV, on um, on public television in the spring. Yep. And it just made it into another festival that I can't remember Woods the Hall. name of. Yeah. I think it's gonna yeah. it's gonna get its way around. And Tribeca is yeah. doing part in person and part streamed, and so it is streaming for a fee, not a huge fee. Um, online uh, the day after the the premiere, so it'll be out there. And I, I would just say, very gutsy young women, two young women who've made this film in their late twenties. Um, just a really courageous film, and they were able to build trust and gain access uh, to various elements of this major debate and the controversy. Yeah. Um, and they presented through the three three lives. Uh, all Latinx people with different relationships to this uh, women's reproductive health care clinic. Um, and I'm astounded sometimes as I watch the film that they were allowed to be there to film some of these conversations. It's really Their names weird. are um, Maya Cueva and Leah Gallant. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, thanks for all the cool work that you're doing. Well, thanks. Yeah. We it's, love doing it's it. It's really fun. We, really we like doing love film doing work. It. And we like even better applying those skills to social justice kinds of projects. Mm. So, so, feels right. Well, what should we do for the last tune? Well, I'd like to do one more with the banjo uke, yeah. and that's Flatwoods. I think lots of old time people, most old time people know Flatwoods. There's more than one version. 
I play the version that I learned from Tommy Jarrell. I wouldn't call it the Tommy Jarrell version since it's become mine, but but it's the one that it's closest to. Here, let me get a little bit detangled. Thanks again, Judy. And thanks, Jeff, for joining. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Lovely. Visit Judy's website to learn more about her many musical projects, including her film scores with Jeff, and to buy her albums like Late Last Summer, her collection of waltzes with her dad. That's at judyhyman.com. And of course, you can visit thehorseflies.com to learn more about them and buy their albums. 
Thanks again to Earful of Fiddle for sponsoring this episode. Sign up to reserve your spot for their online music and dance camp June 20th through the 24th at earfuloffiddle.com. You can support Get Up in the Cool by sharing the show with a friend or sharing and liking the video posts on Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube. And if you're able, please help fund this podcast by signing up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. You can order a mask, t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up in the Cool's merch store. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional claw hammer banjo series. If you're tired of just listening to old-time music and you want to make some... Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set, available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. We just started season 18 this week, so that would be a great jumping on point if you've been curious about that other show. And again, everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool.